When uh, Daryl was a senior pastor here for 25 years before I came, uh, I heard lots of stories about things that he did. Some things that I would love to do and others I wouldn't imitate unless God verbally told me to. And, uh, and, and one of the things that Daryl did do on a regular basis that just endeared me to him in this church is that when a new pastor would come to town, uh, that Daryl believed in and the elders believed him. He, he'd ask that pastor to come here and come up on the stage. He'd introduce him to the congregation, pray for him, and then in a bold move even encourage people that if they wanted to, to start attending that church to support this new, new work, to by all means do it. And, and that's why the, the motto of the church has been come, grow, go. And, and that was Daryl's way of saying go, and, and we release you freely if the Lord so leads. And I've wanted to do that ever since I came here. We've planted a few church, churches in the last four years. We sent Rance and Matt out. We sent Dan over to Fountain Hills and Larry in the North Campus on. And, and we've done some work. But, but I've been waiting for the day that we would have a guy come into town that we could partner with and believe in and, and bless in a great way. And that day is here today. Uh, Ian was with us for about uh, a couple of years. He's part of our Timothy program. He's now uh, going to be the main worship leader at a new church plant that's going to be starting up at about uh, Carefree Highway or Happy Valley Road and I-17, that area, called Imago Dei. It's Latin for image of God. And this is going to be a pioneered church plant by a young man by the name of Ryan Rice, who's from Little Rock, Arkansas. And our elders started networking with Ryan about, oh, a year ago at the very least. And we really fell in love with this young guy. He has a passion for God. He's seminary trained. He's gone through a, a world-class church planting internship at Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock and wants to come to our city. In fact, he's here. He's been here for a year uh, to plant a significant work. And so I'm going to invite Ryan up right now, introduce him to you, but give a great Scottsdale Bible welcome to Ryan Rice. So I, I see you dressed for the occasion. Good for uh, you, I Ryan. Tried, I tried. I tried. Right. Pulled out my best. So we know what kind of church this is going to be, <laughs> and that, right. that's cool. Some of these guys might like that, and yeah. uh, that, that's great. Uh, most of the first service didn't laugh nearly as much as you all did at that. That's, <laughs> thank you. That's good. So, Ryan, just t t why don't we begin by just having you tell us a little bit about who you are, why you're here, and uh, just let us get to know you for yeah. a sec. Well, I said to the first service, you know, I start with who I am. Uh, I would say I'm a redeemed rebel for Jesus. <laughs> and uh, God worked in my heart about 15 years ago and transformed my life. Yeah. And I met Christ and experienced his forgiveness. And uh, secondly, I'm a father. Hmm. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a husband. You got to get that straight, right? <laughs> my wife's probably here going, wait. Uh, I'm a husband to a beautiful wife, Leslie. I've um, been married, um, moving on nine years. Uh, I'm excited just to continue to deepen my marriage. Mm. Um, next, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a dad. I'm yeah. a dad to two beautiful kids, Sam and Riley. And then lastly, I, I'm a church planter. Yeah. Specifically, Phil, and have this strong sense that there's nothing else I could do. Wow. Uh, just cool. to plant the church. And so why am I here? I'm here to just share that God, we're joining in God's work for this city. Mm. Um, we're so thankful for, for Scott Seal Bible and what God's done in this city um, through the church. And we see ourselves specifically coming and just joining in God's redemptive plan for this city. Um, 
and to share with people that we, we, we are ramping up and finishing off developing our core team yeah. so we can launch. We're going to talk about that in a sec. When, uh, when Desert View Bible Church was planted way up at Carefree Highway in, in that area about oh, eight years ago or so, uh, Scotts Bible Church purchased a huge piece of land for them at, at a big cost. And what they've been doing over the last eight to ten years is paying that back slowly to us, but the money goes into a specific church planting fund that we do in conjunction with them to help significant works here in Phoenix. And so our elders and the elders of Desert View have chosen Ryan and his team to be the recipient for the next few years of a good portion of that fund to help uh, spawn this church. So why don't you share with our folks here, Ryan, what, what's going to be unique about Imago Day? I mean, churches have all pretty much the same mission, but different values, different things that make them unique. What's going to be special about the work that God has put on your heart? I'd say what what has already been a significant blessing was when I was down in Little Rock at Fellowship Bible Church, I worked on staff there, and that church went out, and they they plant a few churches every year. And what we've seen over the last 10 years planting churches out of fellowship was that when the church took a a specific intentionality to develop men, to be better husbands, to be better fathers. Uh, the churches were strengthened, the homes were, the family was strengthened. The communities were revitalized and renewed. The workplace became a place for ministry. And so I'd say specifically within Imago Day, what God has already done is given us a fellowship of godly leaders. Yeah. So my, our relationship to you guys with Scottsdale Bible and the elders here, godly men pouring into younger godly men, um, churches like Sun Valley Community Church or Redemption Church, um, Sandy Mason up there at Desert uh, View Bible. These godly men are pouring into our staff. And what's unique about Imago Day within the, our staff is that we have three full-time pastors right. in a church plant. And that's just not heard of in most church plants. It's generally one guy shows up with a catalytic vision yeah. to change this city, but he's working 40 hours a week and his family suffers and the ministry suffers because they just don't have the ability to pull it all together. Or the resources, yeah. And so just that, that's a unique factor. And then, and I think just our opportunity with the mission. I mean, the, the church, uh, church planting is, is, we're starting out small. So it, the uniqueness about Imago Day right now is it's not a church of 5,000. The Lord, we, we want to reach lots of people. Um, it's a church of 30, 40 people gathering in a house right now. Yeah. So it's all hands on deck. It's small, but it's so significant. So I said in the first service, it's kind of like cheers. It's a place where everybody knows your name. Yeah. He and said I, I had to Wikipedia that to get that. Yeah, like but, you're too young to remember that show. So, but that's not know. true. Uh, uh, I said, and I said, but the, the, my, what we are not with Cheers, we're not the guys that sit around and sit at the, bu- the pub all day long. We just love each other, and God's doing a great work within um, building up a, a godly fellowship of family that wants to reach the city um, for Christ. So you got about 30 people right now. I know you said you have about 15 more that are in the membership yeah, process, yeah. so you're looking at a core of maybe 45, 50 people. And I, and I know that part of your goal is, and even being here today, is to, to try to garner more interest yeah. 
to get maybe 20 to 40 people, even from Scottsdale Bible, that might be interested in going with you and supporting you yeah. and uh, being a part of, of the church plant. And so that's a lot of what we're trying to do here today is expose this to, you know, a few thousand people and see if the Lord wouldn't lift up just a few here that might be interested. Maybe they live out there or be willing to drive out there. And uh, so why don't you tell us, Ryan, just real briefly here, how if somebody wanted to be, if somebody's interested in partnering more yeah. with you, yeah. What do you have for them? Well, we have two things in the bulletin. There's a special events that we're gathering. Um, I, I live up in the North Valley at Fireside Community Center. We're going to have a, a special meet and greet. And really what we're going to share is we're going to have an opportunity just to connect myself and then anybody from Scottsdale Bible. And that's just for Scottsdale Bible Church. It's just Church. for Scottsdale yep. Bible Church, right. folks. Just so, because we understand that it's just, it's a different environment. Yeah. You know, um, moving from a church that has some of the best resources in the valley, the best, some of the best teaching. Oh, amen. And, and yeah. to that. Uh, and then you got your other guys like Wayne Grudem and all these guys here. Yeah. So it's, it, Imago Day is different in that regard. We right. do have some gifted communicators and um, some scholarly young pastors in our mix. Right. But then the second thing is we're going to be holding a series where we're going to spend four weeks in a little Presbyterian church teaching about the gospel and encouraging, empowering people to live out the gospel, to declare it, and to demonstrate it in so, their homes. So the two ways our people get involved would be on August 28th to That's attend right. the meet and greet, yeah. which is designed just for Scottsdale just Bible, for Scottsdale. and then even to come to the four-week series starting in September. Yeah. Two ways they could get. Ryan's going to be out at the table out near our bookstore. We gave him the primo spot because this is our kickoff Sunday, and so you can't miss him as you go out. And, and you can stop by the table and get more information. He's got some wonderful literature for you. You can uh, put it in, your, in our bulletin tear-off and give it to an usher if you're interested in this, or call the church office. But, but we just would like all of you to join us in prayer about what our role can continue to be to encourage this man who our elders have unanimously affirmed as a, a godly man that we believe in. So I'm going to ask uh, Bill Kavnis and Tim Kimmel to come up right now. Uh, to Bill and Tim are two of our elders, and they're going to lead in prayer for Ryan. And you just stay right, seated okay. right there. And uh, then we're going to continue on uh, with our, our service. So Tim, why don't you pray for us? Oh, you need a mic, don't you? And uh, they didn't get you. There we go. Can we get that one live there? Good. Kevin, is that good? Oh, Lord Jesus, thank I, you. Are you live? Let me see. Sorry about this, guys. We're really messed up. All right. Um, you know what? There we go. Okay. Grace. Uh, okay, everybody, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so, so much for this good man and his wife, Leslie. Thank you, Lord, for the uh, great adventure his life has been in you and the transforming work you've had in his heart. Thank you, Lord, for the incredible passion he has for people that don't know you. And, and Lord, I just pray that you'll continue to bless that. And Lord, I thank you for, for the way his mind thinks and, 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 and the way he is so, uh, he, he has arrived here at this town with such a crystal clear biblical plan for a church that, that represents your heart. And so we just pray, Lord, that you will go with Imago Day over the wonderful team of people that have left behind the, their comfort zones and their families and, and left behind uh, really uh, opportunities that could, could have made life more easier for them to, to accept this challenge from you, to come and bring even more light to this community that we, we all love so much. And Lord, we just pray that you'll bring people to them. And Lord, I pray for the folks that are right now sitting in this audience and hearing this 
this interview, that you're tugging at their heart, Lord. I pray, Father, that they will make that effort to, to, to connect, connect the, 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 the lines to this church and find out more about it, and that you might even lead many families here today, right now, to come alongside and be the foundational families of this wonderful church. Thank you so much that you brought this good man to our community. Amen. 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 <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thanks, Brian. Oh, I got to tell you, my first Sunday back, we can't even get another mic to work. But that's not my, that's not Kevin's fault at all. We didn't even tell him that. I was calling a couple of elders up, so they weren't prepared for that. But just shows to show how uh, human we all are. And, uh, I, I got to tell you, I've never taken five Sundays off in my life, and, uh, and I did the last five. Uh, somebody came up to me in the first service and said, gosh, you've been gone seven weeks. I said, it was five, loser. But, you know, anyways, <laughs> I, I know it was a lot, and, and it was an experiment. I, I front-loaded a lot of my teaching for this year in the, uh, in the beginning of this year during our high season, and Kim and I got away and, and did some uh, vacationing, and then I did some study. And I got to tell you, I, I don't know if I'll do that again or not. I, I know some pastors do that. They take a substantive part of the summer, but at least for my first shot at it, man, was it hard being away from you all. And I, I was actually here last Sunday in the first service, and then I was at the children's ministry in the second service, and then the 11, 10, and the third. And it was everything I could do not to push OS aside and say, give me my pulpit back. And, uh, but, but I didn't, and, and he did a fantastic job of teaching us about the fear of God. But I, I tell you, I'm ready to be back with you, and I'm glad to be back. And I get to talk today about my favorite topic, the church. I mean, it really, there's only two reasons that I do what I do, and that is that I love God and I love His people. That, that's it. I mean, I'm not trying to be altruistic, but that's why I do what I do. God saved my soul, and I've committed my life to Him in service to Him, and then I, I just love His church. And so today we're going to talk about that and what His church is and how we can all continue to band together and be the church that He has called us to be. So with that said, let's bow right now and pray, and we're going to dive right in. Father... Thank you for uh, just the vision that you've given us here at our church, uh, a biblical vision to be a community of followers of Jesus who band together and trust you with everything in us and then love our community into the kingdom through our acts of service and our witness and what have you. God, I pray that as we look at what is arguably the most important passage on church in the New Testament, uh, a description of the very first century church that you established. I pray, God, that you would help us understand this rightly. And Lord, more than anything, would you, would you fire up the lot of us when it comes to what church is? And I pray this in Jesus' holy and his precious name. Amen. So I don't usually start a sermon like this, but I want to dive right in. And so if you brought a Bible, and I hope you did, I want you to open up to Acts chapter 2, book of Acts chapter 2. you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament. Fifth book is the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. You can grab it there. Go to the New Testament, fifth book, uh, the chapter of Acts chapter 2. And as you're turning there, I want to just help you understand the context, because context is always important in understanding a passage. And the context here is relatively simple. Jesus' life is over. 
He's already died on a cross for our sins. He's already been resurrected from the dead. He spent 40 days uh, with the disciples, interacting with them and teaching them. And then in Acts chapter 1, he's ascended into heaven. And right before he ascended into heaven, he gave some parting words to the disciples, just the 11 disciples that would soon be 12 again. And the parting words were, Go, be my witnesses. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. He said, go into the world and tell people about me. Establish churches. Make this thing like that parable I told you of a small mustard seed that becomes the biggest tree and birds come and perch in its branches and let's go build the church. That was the commission that Jesus gave to this small band of followers. And you got to remember, these guys were beat up. I mean, they were emotionally ragged from all that went on with Jesus' death and them not understanding it and then his resurrection and them not believing it and then seeing him and now just spending six weeks with him and they're all beat up. And so they take this commission that Jesus had given them and they go hide out in another room, which they were really good at. And so they're hiding out in another room with these uh, other, about 100 other believers. So there's maybe 120, 130 believers at that time. And they're kind of confused, wondering what to do next And if you've ever been confused wondering what to do next, God sometimes in His amazing grace just says, hang on to your pew, I'm going to do something, and I'm going to show you what is next. And sure enough, you flip the page into Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches his very first sermon, better than most pastors' first sermons, and the Holy Spirit descends upon this small band of believers on what is known as the day of Pentecost. Pentecost, as many of you might know, is a Jewish celebration in which the Jewish people celebrate God giving, the, giving Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. But on this actual Pentecost day, the Holy Spirit came upon this newly established church. And get this, after Peter's first sermon, 3,000 people believed and converted to Christianity. Now, folks, dial into that. People are very proud of Scottsdale Bible Church and our size and our resources and all of that. And, and Daryl was an amazing leader, still is, for the 25 years he was our senior pastor. God used him to take our church from about 300 people to about five or 6,000 in 25 years. And that's about a very fast growth level for a church in the United States. On the day of Pentecost, they went from about 130 believers to 3,130 in one worship service. I would submit to you, they had a significant growth problem in their church at that time. It's taken us years to develop all the ministry structures that we have to accommodate the people we have. They didn't know what to do. And yet God was still in charge. Now you're ready to read Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 41. It's Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. Let's read what they did next as this very first New Testament church was being born. This is going to be so instructive for you and I today. It says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want you to notice two things, just simply two things there that will forever help you understand 
God's church. First, we're going to look at the ingredients of an Acts 2 church, and then we're going to look at the results of an Acts 2 church. First, notice the ingredients of this church here. There's at least five of them mentioned. The first one is truth. Truth. Look again at verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I love that phrase, and they devoted themselves. I mean, these people were rabid about truth. They couldn't get enough of it. I mean, picture this in your mind. These 3,000 people who had just come out of a worldview of darkness that was based on all sorts of lies and deceptions about the nature of reality, and now they had come into the light and knowledge of Christ. And they couldn't get enough of this kind of teaching that was bathed in God's revelational truth. And when it says there that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, please know what that simply means is that they were devoted to the teaching that would eventually become the 27 books of the New Testament. They didn't have the New Testament back then. It was about 30 years in the making. And yet these were the men who God was anointing to teach them who would then become the books of the New Testament. And please see, this first century church was devoted to this teaching. To put it in today's words, they were rabid about the Word of God. They were rabid about knowing it, digesting it, understanding it. They couldn't get enough of it. The first hallmark of this church was truth. And yet, please notice, folks, and don't miss this, it was not just any truth, but it was truth that was transformational in nature. We have all the indications of this in the New Testament. Simply put, that when God's Word back then was taught by gifted and godly teachers and understood by people who desired to live it out, then spiritual sparks flew and people's lives were changed. And so today, when we hear truth from God's Word about who He is, or to not forsake prayer, or to love our spouses, or to have integrity and honesty at work, or to bathe ourselves in the grace and love of God, or to not be afraid of relational confrontation, and all the other truths of the Bible, when we hear those things and understand them, and then have the guts to live them out, it can change the trajectory of our lives. That's the nature of transformational truth. And it's the first hallmark of any church that claims the name of Jesus. You can't claim the name of Jesus without being committed to his truth, transformational truth that can change us. I remember one of the first times I saw this as a young pastor back in the 1980s. I had just graduated from seminary. And in Chicago there, I was visiting a church one day that was clearly an Acts 2 kind of church. They were very serious about God's truth. And on that particular day, the pastor was giving a very simple but profound message on Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24, in which Jesus simply says things to this effect. He says, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there you remember that somebody has something against you, then leave your offering at the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your gift. Many of you are familiar with that passage. And after teaching all the ins and outs of this passage, he wrapped up by challenging people to not even continue in their worship right now, to not sing the song that they were about to sing as a close to the service, but if they had to be reconciled to somebody, to go right then and there and seek reconciliation. He challenged them to not even finish the worship service, but to go and be reconciled. And folks, I will never forget all of my life what happened next. I mean, literally hundreds of people, like a third to half of the audience, got up at this point and left the auditorium. 
Uh, when I stepped out into the atrium just a few minutes later after the service, there were literally lines at the pay phones. This was the day before cell phones. And there were cars screeching out of the parking lot as this church was so rabid about the truth and seeking reconciliation based on Jesus' teaching. That's the idea of an Acts 2 church. The kind of church that cares so much about what God says that even though we're very imperfect with it, and that's why he gives us his grace, at every turn we're going to live it out and see what God does as he transforms our character as we follow him. Now, believe it or not, we're just ramping up. Notice with me a second ingredient that I want you to see of an Acts 2 kind of church. And I'm going to use a word that we use all the time around here, but we're going to fill in the gaps, and that is fellowship. Fellowship. Look again at verse 42, and it says, And they devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Now, we need to understand something very important here, and that is that when it uses that word fellowship, and the reason that I'm using it is because it's a very biblical word, it's used all the time in the Bible, this word does not mean what the average believer today thinks it means. I mean, tell me if this isn't true. When we hear the word fellowship, we assume that means kind of eating with other Christians, right? Baptists are really good at that. We eat together as a form of fellowship. I'm an ordained Baptist minister. You guys don't know that. Don't tell my kids, but I am. And so Baptists tend to eat together as a form of fellowship. Other churches feel like if you get together and just talk about your business or your truck or something like that, then we call that fellowship. Going to a movie together with other Christians, we call that fellowship. In other words, we label almost any kind of activity that we have with other Christians fellowship, unless it's serving, and then that's serving. And the reality is is that that's not a biblical understanding of fellowship. Listen to what Bill Hybels from the famous Willow Creek Community Church says about fellowship. I like this. He says, in a biblically functioning community, fellowship is when people take their masks off and say, let's not spend a lot of time on the business or the pickup truck, okay? Let's not spend a lot of time on baked goods and the dresses. Here's what's going on in my life. Here's what I'm scared about. Here's what God is asking me to do, but I don't have the guts to do. Here's the image I'm protecting, but the reality under the hood is not as good. Here's where I'm failing. He says, that's biblical fellowship. Are you starting to see, folks? It's a kind of relational uh, interaction or relational activity in which stories are shared Commitments are secured. Sacrifices are made for each other. Prayer is central. I mean, it's truly love of another kind. That's fellowship. It's the kind of relational activity in which a church the size of Scottsdale Bible Church makes sure that people get in small platoons, that they enlist in small platoons so they can have relational interactions with each other, the kind that allow them to take off their masks and go deeper than you can in a room this size. That's fellowship. That's why it says in Acts chapter 2 that they went from house to house in small groups as well as teaching in the temple, but it was in those small groups that fellowship mainly occurred. It's fascinating. When you look closely at this text here, especially at verse 46, you'll notice that it says when when they met from house to house in this small group fellowship that they met with generous hearts. You guys see that there on the screen behind me? They met with generous hearts. Now that phrase generous is a fascinating phrase in the original Greek that the New Testament was written in. It literally means, now get this, simplicity of heart or singleness of heart or as the New American Standard Bible says, sincerity of heart. 
It carries with it the idea that you have an unfolded, that's why they say simple or sincere, an unfolded single heart laid bare before another person. The opposite of this would be a duplicitous or multifolded heart. And let's face it, when you have a multifolded heart, you can hide things in it, right? If you have a heart that you fold it over, you can hide this that you don't want somebody to see, and this you don't want somebody to see, and this you don't want somebody to see. And Christians are so notorious at that, but not the first century Christians. It says that they met with generous hearts. Generous there means that they were sharing all of themselves, who they were, the truth of who they are, with each other. And that's a hallmark that defines the kind of fellowship that God is after. This was the kind of fellowship that these church pilgrims had, the kind that God dreams of for you and me. That's why when Steve said earlier that we're going to offer small groups for the next Grace series, man, if you're not in one, get in one. I don't know what my life would be like if I didn't have a couple of small groups that I meet with on a regular basis with other people, a men's group and a couple's group. I mean, it's invaluable for a guy like me. Because my heart, which is duplicitous at times, is so easy for me to hide things in. And a group like that and the biblical teaching on fellowship encourages me to have a simplicity of heart with those around me. How about you? So you got truth that transforms. you got fellowship that takes off masks. And then I want you to notice a third ingredient of an Acts 2 church, and that is prayer. Prayer. It says again in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to prayer. Now, let me ask you a lead-in but loaded question. Do you realize that prayer is the most powerful and vital tool that you and me have when it comes to healing our soul and the souls of those around us? Do you? John Wesley, the great Methodist theologian, was fond of saying that God does nothing except an answer to prayer. Why? Because prayer unleashes and opens up the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit who is the one who can ultimately bring healing to our lives. And all I know is that you and I live in a culture today that tempts us to put our healing in the realm of so many other things that we end up forsaking prayer. And it's infiltrated the church to a huge level. And they're not bad things. I mean, what do you and I do to bring healing to our lives? We go to seminars, we read books, we go to Bible studies, we engage in interventions, we engage in counseling. All good things to do. You know what they did in the first century church? They prayed. They didn't have all the things we have today. They didn't have seminars back then. There's no professional counselors. They didn't have all that many Bible studies. They had to meet in catacombs for crying out loud just to worship. And so the resources that we have today, they didn't have back then. But a lot of people experienced healing and wholeness in their lives. How? They prayed. And they prayed like Jesus was coming back tomorrow. They prayed regularly and consistently. And in praying, they saw the movement of God in their midst, and they saw God powerfully work in people's lives. And so here's the application for you and me. Somebody at work driving you crazy with their rigidity and pettiness? Pray for them and see the bronze bronze break. Is your spouse steeped in denial about his or her sin? Pray for him or her and set them free. Kids won't listen and make the right choices? Pray for them and unleash God's grace and power on them. In fact, I've said for years to wayward young people that if you have a mom, a dad, a grandmother, or a grandfather praying for you, just give up right now. 
I have. I've said that for years because I've seen way too many times as a pastor, Russ, isn't this true? You know, some kid just running hog wild in his or her own direction and over here you got a nice godly grandmother who can barely walk but she prays all the time and all I know is that in response to that prayer, God's clobbering grace is just hovering over that kid's head, Right? I mean, God, in his, in his loving tenderness, but his firmness, is about ready to snatch that person up. Many times heaven will reveal in response to this prayer. Because the Bible says we need to pray, continue to knock on heaven's door in order to see God move in our lives. As the Acts 2 church, we'll see in just a minute, shows us prayer was a focus that they had, and it was prayer that was a bedrock and prayer that unleashed the movement of God in their midst. And it needs to be so for us. Now, continuing our look, notice with me a fourth ingredient that made this a biblically functioning community that God was proud of, and that was worship. That was worship. And some of you right now, I know how you think, are going through the list in your head, and you're going, okay, I listen to truth, and okay, I got challenged on the fellowship thing there because I know I'm not as vulnerable as I need to do, and I definitely need to pray more, but hey, I got the worship thing down, check what's next. Not so fast. Uh, Let's unpack what, what this means by worship. First, notice where it says it there in verses 46 and 47. It says, and day by day, attending the temple together and praising God. So just like the Jews had done before the Christians came, where the Jewish people used the temple as a place for teaching and worship, this first century church continued that practice. And so they met in the temple to teach and also to worship. But make no mistake, this was now spirit-filled worship. Remember the day of Pentecost, the Spirit had come upon them. So it was the kind of worship that could only come with hearts that are filled with God's Spirit as they believe and trust in Jesus. And when you see it through those lens and read the rest of the New Testament and what it says about worship, you realize that this was worship that was both substantive doctrinally as well as expressive emotionally. Ooh, what a challenge for you and I substantive doctrinally, in other words, it was worship that focused them on God with information and substance and right truths about Him, but it was also worship that was expressive in nature as people praised God and gave Him glory for who He is. It was stimulating worship that flowed out of their hearts and was experiential in orientation. That's the picture we get of New Testament worship. And all I know is what a challenge that is to you and me today. Amen? I I chastise just a little bit, because i got to be careful with them, because most of them are older than me, but I chastise just a little bit the first service uh, that came before you today. And the reason I chastise them is because I was here last week, and I sat in the back of, of our worship service, and I observed, I didn't judge, I just observed the way that many of them engage in this thing called worship. And, and I gave them a compliment. I said, you guys have definitely mastered the Presbyterian form of worship. I said, you're really good at that. And it's not to pick on Presbyterians because it's a legitimate type of worship, but let's face it, Presbyterians are not the most emotionally expressive people on God's planet. And I said, you guys have definitely mastered that sedate form of worship. And I validated that. I said, that's an okay form of worship. You're from a different generation. I get that. That that, that is so fine. And you can still give your heart to God through that kind of worship. I said, but the thing that concerns me is that as I observed you, there were some, if not a sizable number of you, that weren't even mouthing the words. 
You weren't even singing the songs. It's one thing to say I'm more Presbyterian in nature rather than charismatic and expressive, but to to say that you're not even going to sing the song, I don't think that's right in God's church. And we all know why Christians at times don't want to sing the song, don't we? Because you don't like that song. It's not your song. I I mean, it's a rock song. I'm not going to sing rock in church. And I said to them, I said, I get how some of you think. You know, you're not going to sing a song like that in church and all that, even though the words are pure and right and doctrinally focused. I said, but what would happen if one of our 1110 wackos were to come in the 8 o'clock service, one of our 1110 people that are very expressive in worship were to come to the 8 o'clock service, and what would you do, I said to the 8 o'clock service, if they were to say, I'm not going to sing this song because it's done to an organ and it's 300 years old. I mean, who wants to sing a song in antiquity? I mean, I'm not not even on the radio anymore. I'm not going to sing a song like that. What would happen if an 1110 person did that? What would you say to them? You'd say, grow up and get over it. That's a doctrinally pure song, and whether it's your tune or not, you are called to worship it because you're in the house, or worship God because you're in the house of God, and you're to take that song, whether it's your song or not, and give your heart to Him. And whether you're Presbyterian in style and you give your heart to him like this, that's giving your heart to him. Whether you're a little bit more charismatic in style and you give your heart to him like this, that's great too. we got room for all kinds. I just beg us all, sing the song and give your heart to him. Amen? Because that's what worship is. And by the way, you guys are kind of middle of the road. I'm taking the next service to task because they're the ones that always do this. You know the problem with always doing this is that they argue with their wife on the way to church. They come in here and they go like this. They yell at their kids on the way to work. They come on the way to church. They come into church and they go like this. And I'm going to challenge them. Don't go like this just because you were taught at a Promise Keepers conference 15 years ago to do that. Go like this when you're right with God and you're really giving your heart to Him. Amen. And so this works for all of us. Amen. So, good. Now you see why I want to get back in the pulpit? This is good stuff. So, we teach, we fellowship, we pray, we worship. And then this Steve mentioned earlier, and this is powerful, we serve. We serve. Because that's what the New Testament church did. Look at verse 45. This is one of the most tender passages in all of the book of Acts. And it says, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. Isn't that cool? This church cared so much about each other. They didn't even know each other. Like 3,000 people, I can know each other. They cared so much about each other that they said, God is alive in this place. He's doing something here. We need to resource this place because some have and some don't have. We're going to give. We're going to serve. Our time, talents, and treasures are going to matter here. And they gave generously and sacrificially. And through that kind of giving and service, the church was born. Are you beginning to see, folks? God has a church he dreams about. He really does. And it's you and me. It's not a building. It's not a program. It's not a bunch of policies. It's the people of God. And when they embrace his truth, when they engage in authentic fellowship, when they pray like Christ is coming back tomorrow, when they worship with everything in them, in their own style, when they serve each other out of true love and relationality, God's dream begins to take shape. And though we only have just a couple minutes left, notice with me very quickly three results of what happens when a church takes seriously these five areas. And they're right in the text here. The first result is that they experience and see the movement of God in their midst. Is that not so cool? The presence of God is obviously seen and felt. Look again at verse 43. It says, And awe came upon every soul, 
and many wonders and signs were being done. I love that first phrase, and awe came on every soul. Picture it. Jaw-dropping, mouth-opening awe at the amazed supernatural presence in their midst. So when the church became the church, when they assembled and did these five things, God showed up and he inhabited their praises, he inhabited their fellowship, he inhabited their worship, he inhabited their serving, he inhabited their prayers. And the simple challenge to you and I was when was the last time you were awestruck at the supernatural in your midst? That's a really challenging question for you and me. I think if the average Christian is honest, like if you and I were having a cup of coffee today, and I said, honestly, when was the last time you were in awe at the supernatural in your midst? Most of us at best could maybe list six times since our conversion 30 years ago. Because we just don't see it all that often. And yet we have to wrestle with that. Because the New Testament church, if we're reading it right here, was at awe of the movement of God in their midst on a regular basis. And so if we're not seeing the movement of God in our midst, what my mentor Lud Goltz in Cleveland used to call God sightings, if we're not seeing God sightings on a regular basis, then we better ask ourselves what's wrong. (laughs) Am I just not seeing it? Or is there something we're not doing that he wants us to be about? Could it be that our truth is not very transformational truth because we just don't have the guts to live it out? Could it be that our fellowship is really shallow? We're more about the truck and the business, the baked goods and the dresses than we are really about unmasking ourselves with unfolded hearts. Could it be that our worship really is just mouthing the words and digging our heels in because it's not our song? Could it be that our service isn't very sacrificial? Could it be that our prayers are pretty cold? You have to ask yourself the tough questions because they saw the movement of God in their midst. And if I'm reading this right, we will too. We do too. As we see, as we live these things and see God move in our midst. And there's a second result of an Acts 2 church, and this is pretty powerful, and that is that they had unity. They had unity. Look at verses 44 and 46. It says, And all who believed were together, and had all things in common, attending the temple together. And that word together is the Greek word homothumadon, and it literally means unanimously. Isn't that great? So there was unity in this church, not uniformity, not everybody dressing alike and acting alike, not unanimity, not everybody agreeing on everything, but unity, acceptance, and a unified purpose amidst the diversity and disagreement. Maybe look at it this way, the grace and the truth that they shared outpaced the differences and disagreements that they had. I got to preach a whole sermon on this one someday because I'm telling you, I love Scottsdale Bible. I think we got a lot of things going for us, but I think we could use some more unity. Amen? Because we have a lot of things going on here. We got a lot of pettiness at times, the things that we make into mountains that are really molehills and all these things, and we bicker and we fight over certain things. And, 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 we, and I sit there and go, whoa, we got lost people that are going to hell in our community. But we have marriages that are falling apart. We got kids that are on drugs we have so many needs in our community that need the church to be the church, to need us to be a unified front with the name of Jesus leading the way, that if we bicker among ourselves, I'm telling you, Satan has won at that moment. And the reality is, is that when a first century church focused on transformational truths, focused on sharing their lives with each other in small group fellowship, focused on prayer, focused on service, focused on giving, then they found that unity was a byproduct. They majored in the majors and they minored in the minors. And that's my dream for Scottsdale Bible Church, that we move along that road and see God move that way. So you got his presence, you got unity, and then with this we're done. 
Notice that a byproduct of all of this was evangelism. Isn't that awesome? It says in verse 47, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know what's so cool about this passage? I know some of you are ready to go, but, but just dial into this a minute. Their evangelism wasn't a program. Their evangelism was not a guilt-induced activity that they did because they had to. No, their evangelism was a natural outflow of them being in the church. It was a natural outflow of them being, them being so in love with Jesus and so rabid about His truth and His community that they couldn't help but serve and love and be kind to and show forgiveness to everybody around them. But we're going to talk about that this fall when we unpack what it means to have grace and our community here and what it means to show grace to our community out there. All I know is that when you and I latch on to God's grace in Jesus Christ and we really get it, it's going to change everything out there and in here. That's the power of us being the church. So here's how we're going to end our service here this morning. And that is that as Steve mentioned earlier, we've planned an old-fashioned ministry fair for you. Believe me, I wish it was October or November as well so that you wouldn't have to sweat out there. But if ever there's a day where it's okay to sweat for the kingdom of God, amen, this one's it, right? Because we don't set up ministry booths with all of our ministries on a very regular basis. Maybe we should, but it just takes a lot of work. And so today, when you leave today, make sure you say hi to Ryan. And if you're interested in what his work is, stop by there. He's outside the bookstore. But then as you go beyond that towards your your car in the parking lot, you're going to notice that we have every major ministry has a table out there. There is something for every one of us out there. Something for worshipers, for fellowship, for service, for deeper teaching. And so here's my challenge to you this morning. With this, we're done. And that is just take the next step today. Amen? Just take the next step. For some of you, if the Holy Spirit's been working in your heart, and i got to believe He is, there was something said today in which you go, ooh, ooh, I need to go the next step in that. Maybe it's joining an enrichment class, a Bible study, a small group. Maybe it's some service area. Maybe it's some deeper fellowship area, some recovery stuff in our counseling ministry. I don't know what it is, but God is encouraging you to go for a deeper dive in this church that you call home. Our best guess as we do the analysis of our church is that more than half of our people are pew sitters in this church. Now, you got to know, I love you. I love pew sitters. Some of my best friends are pew sitters. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm not down on you. I'm glad that you're here rather than at Starbucks right now or playing tennis or golf or something like that. But the reality is, is that a church that's filled with half people that aren't involved more than a Sunday morning large group setting, I don't think qualifies as an Acts 2 church. And so if we're going to see God do those things in our church that we want to see done, it's going to take all of us. Somebody gave me an illustration years ago that has stayed with me. said, if you're putting together a 5,000-piece jigsaw puzzle and you get down to 4,999 pieces and you realize at the very last moment that that last piece has been gone, that it got lost or the dog chewed it, what's going to happen? He said, everybody who comes in and sees your beautiful jigsaw puzzle with 4,999 pieces are going to say what? Look at that missing piece. Ha, what happened to that missing piece? And you're going to want to kill him because you worked hard to put that thing together. I think the church is the same way. I mean, we have one or two that call themselves, or call Scottsdale Bible Church their home, and yet they're the missing jigsaw piece. We're not the church. We're not what God wants us to be. It takes all of us, all in, together to be the church. So what is God calling you to do next? Please stop out there and find out for yourself. Let's pray. Father, 
I thank you for your goodness and for your grace. I thank you for your revelational truth that when we have the courage to apply it to our lives can truly change the course of our lives and help us to become the people you want us to be. I pray, God, that as we all each individually decide how we're going to apply what we learned here today to help make our church a stronger place, a more beautiful bride of Christ, I pray, God, that you'd give us wisdom. May we not ignore the nudges of the Holy Spirit that you might be giving to us today. God, thank you for our church. Thank you for the great teaching we had this summer. We look forward to a season of grace this fall. Speak to our hearts. Change us, we pray. In Jesus' holy and precious name, and we all say together, Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.